This is something that developers do not want to be wasting time on. They don't like to think about policies, about regulations. They hear the word compliance, they get the chills. They care about security, they just look at it as an engineering problem. This is Contributor, a podcast telling the stories behind the best open source projects and the communities that make them. I'm Eric Anderson. I'm joined today by Shelly Rosen, who's the creator or one of the creators of Cubescape. Uh, Shelly, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. And you've had quite a couple months here. Cubescape has kind of come out of nowhere to be a big project. Uh, definitely. You know, we were aiming for success and we were sure it's going to be successful, uh, but you never know how much successful it's going to be until after the fact. So it's great to be in this place. Yeah. Congratulations. Maybe before we go on, tell us what Cubescape is for the uninitiated. Uh, for sure. Cubescape is basically your tool to assure that your Kubernetes deployments and clusters are configured and are deployed in a way that is secured. And, you know, there are so many things you need to test and check for that what we found is that many of the people, what they really are struggling with is what checks should we do? And the approach that we took to that problem is we used frameworks that are acceptable and that are actually published by governance bodies and Specifically, the most popular one that we're using is the NSA and the CISA guidance for Kubernetes hardening, which we found to be very practical. You know, many of the guidance and the governance bodies uh, use things that are more of check the box type stuff, but we felt that there was quite a bit of thought actually in that specific framework. And we, of course, took it to the next level and thought about, you know, what does it really mean for me as a Kubernetes operator and implemented that. And I think that would make a lot of sense to many of our users. Totally. Uh, yes. And and I imagine there's a couple of ways to accomplish this. I imagine some people do this manually during code review, having experts kind of scan uh, with their eyes for typical problems. Yeah, I think there are different approaches. And many of you know the companies will have some kind of guidance and some kind of rules that developers should follow, but it is usually very complicated to manage and more of that to enforce. Totally. And so Cubescape scans at code submission for these types of issues and then maybe breaks builds or just alerts users to the problems. Exactly. One of the things that we made a decision on as we went into the project is that we want to enable our users to use it in many different ways. So we made it flexible. You can run Cubescape against a running cluster. You can run it against your IAC, infrastructure as code, uh, your Helm charts or your YAMLs. And you can decide whether you want to build according to that, whether you want to fail the build or not, when maybe you just want to get an alert. The good thing about our audience is that they are developers. These are not like users who don't know what they're doing. These are guys that like to get their hands dirty they like to take the tool and make the most out of it. We also see that in the responses and in the contributions that we get. And that, that is super helpful. And the flexibility of the tool is super helpful. Yeah, that's quite accommodating. Now that we kind of understand Cubescape a bit, maybe take us to how you got here. Tell us your story. 
Well, we founded Almo, I think, almost two years ago with the aim of being the go-to company for Kubernetes security. And as we started the company and we interviewed many CISOs and many security architects, and we kind of like started to get engaged with the community or with the industry, I would say, it wasn't the community back then, we realized quite quickly that there's going to be a, a huge shift or there's already a huge shift in how security is being implemented and also the decision-making around uh, security. We saw CISOs who are struggling. You tell them, you know, we would like to do Kubernetes security. They know that they have Kubernetes in their organizations. They don't know what's going on in there. And they would bring the developers straight to the first or second call. They say, you need to speak with our uh, dev engineers, with our DevOps. So we said, you know, this is shifting and we need to give these guys the tools. And that's kind of like how we came up with thinking about a tool that will actually be very easy to use by developers and will fit transparently into their existing processes and existing CI/CD pipelines and will not create overhead for them. And that's kind of like how we came up with Cubescape. We talked about what type of tests are you going to do? This is something that developers do not want to be wasting time on. They don't like to think about policies, about regulations, they hear the word compliance, they get the chills, right? And for a good reason, compliance has a very bad reputation for being just check the box type of thing. You know, one of the things that I believe is a super misconception is that developers don't care about security. This is, in my mind, super wrong. They care about security. They just look at it as an engineering problem. They don't want to think about policies and enforcements and rules and reports and check the box and tell the board what is my risk level. This is just not the type of people that are going to be in charge of your security. And I think it's a good thing. I think it's an engineering problem and you need to address it as far as you can with engineering. And after that, it's response and SIEM and CISOs and those types. Got it. So you had all this experience working with security teams, learned that they were always turning to developers and then set out to solve a developer security problem. Yes, that is exactly that. And we spent so much time with developers because what happened is we sold to security, but we worked with developers. That's part of the paradigm shift that we've seen. Yeah, we got the budget from the CISO, from the security architect, and then the project starts. And okay, this is my development team. You know, work with them on implementing it. And it's a very different, I would say, experience working with developers because it's much more practical, let's get things done type of environment, right? Instead of asking questions like, uh, you know, how do I do this? How do I do that? Can you give me a process? What's the documentation? They say, ah, it's a YAML or it's a hand chart. Okay, you get to give me a hand chart. I know what to do with it. It's that type of behavior that we get from developers. And that's what we love about it because it's, uh, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm Israeli, I'm very straightforward, kind of like, let's get things done type of guy. And those developers guys are also like that. Yeah, fantastic. So you, you kind of knew you needed a developer tool. You understood you needed the, to create it in a shape which they already understood and knew how to use. But kind of how did you arrive at Cubescape? And maybe what's day one at building Cubescape like? That's you at the keyboard? or I consider myself a technical guy, but uh, it's been a while since I've been at the keyboard other than Excel and PowerPoint. So I've been fortunate enough to have, uh, you know, two co-founders who are PhD level smart 
And, and these are the guys on the keyboard. We have an amazing team that has been very, very, I would say, aggressive on the need and the requirements to do Cubescape. And how did we decide on Cubescape is basically we started at the, at the beginning. We thought about we want to be an end-to-end security company, like end-to-end, where is one end and where is the other end? And we needed to put a stop to you know, where we start. And, and very honestly, we, we decided that we're not going to start at the code level. We're not going to do SaaS, that type of things, even though they can be very developer-oriented. We decided to start, and that was a business decision, from the development and deployment type. So when the image is already built, and now we're doing configurations, we're doing deployment, we're doing runtime, we, start, we wanted to start there. And we still have the, the target to starting with Cubescape and growing it to the far end of Kubernetes and solving your, you know, if you have a Kubernetes cluster, Cubescape is going to be there for you. That's, that's the idea. Fantastic. And how did you kind of verify you're building the right thing? Do you, do you test it with users along the way? Or, I mean, you, you turn this around quickly enough that maybe the launch was kind of the first test. Well, the launch was the first test of the technology, but not the concept. We've been working with customers on different Kubernetes security initiatives. And we've seen one thing coming again and again as a requirements for those users, which is the basics. And that's actually how they call it. They say, can you give us the basics? Can you just give me the basic understanding that my configuration is okay, that I don't have vulnerabilities, and then, then I would like to go to the next step and to the next step. And that was kind of a common denominator of pretty much everyone we speak with. That's where they want to start, and that's why we went that way. Now, there are other kind of Kubernetes scanners, if you want to call them that, that help with Kubernetes hardening. Were folks not satisfied with these? And what made you feel like you could kind of improve upon the situation? I think um, there are a few things that were missing and that our users, and this is something which is after the fact, okay, which I get the feedback from our users, are very pleased of. And the first thing is that the time to value of Cubescape is very, very quick, and the requirements from you are very, very low. So you don't need to install it in your cluster. You don't need to give it very high permissions. You know, we are very proud of the fact that if you got into our Cubescape GitHub project page, two minutes later, as long as you have a cluster, you can have the results in the output. And I, I don't remember where I read it, but this is a rule that I put for Cubescape from day one, is that you need to give value to your customers in the first five minutes that they experience your tool. And I think the focus on that made it very, very successful. But that's honestly just a part of it. The, the second part is really the structure of the solution and the structure of the results, structuring it around common frameworks, known frameworks that you can actually trust and actually put meaning into that framework. Because many times, a framework will give you an headline of what you need to check. But what does that mean? How does that translate to an actual check of configuration? And we put a lot of thought into that. And I think that's another part of the things that users love about Cubescape. Awesome. That's great. Tell us a bit about the launch. You developed this thing over a number of weeks. Yes. We actually timed the launch, basically to the NSA guidelines, the publishment. And I think that was a key part of the initial success. 
And then we basically built on that. Did you work with the NSA then? I mean, you, you were you were familiar with the guidelines during development? Yeah, we were familiar with the guidelines. I can't say that we were working with the NSA. Okay, It's not that they were collaborating huh. with us, but we knew that it is coming and we knew uh, more or less uh, what's going to be in there. And honestly, we've been working on many other different frameworks ahead of time. So we had the Midway framework already set up. We have CIS already set up and we decided not to launch it. We decided to actually launch the NSA one is the first uh, framework exactly because of that, and exactly in order to be very, very timely. And that was one of the decisions. And by the way, I have to say, till today, this is one of, I think, the most important things about security tools and open source tools is to be very, very up-to-date and very, very responsive. So whenever we learn about a new configuration, like two weeks ago, there was a new CVE found in the Nginx that could be mitigated with the right Kubernetes configuration. So the day that it was published, we already actually added another test that checks your cluster if you are basically exposed to that or, or is your configuration okay. And that's, I think, a big part of, you know, that, that's a good things about being part of the community because we learned about that CV from the community. Uh, they told us, do you check this? And then it's just a matter of, uh, having a very, very um, resolved time. What a fantastic open source project that users can post issues and you turn them around in 24 hours. Well, we are, I have to say, fanatic about being on top of the GitHub. We opened the Discord channel. We're just starting that. <laughs> well, you're there, so you know. But um, we're just now ramping that up and we hope to get that and we will have someone monitoring that 24-7. And um, yeah, we expect listening to the community to be probably the most important thing in this road that we're taking. Got it. And so you launched with NSA, you had these other frameworks mostly ready to go. And then do you push them out with their own PR on individual launches thereafter? Yes. We basically issued the Dimitri about two weeks after that. And we're going to issue DevOps best practices in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. And it's not, you say with a different PR, you know, I don't, I don't think it's about PR. It's about really moderating the functionality, and we're going to have a lot of functionality, not just frameworks uh, to, to Cubescape. Um, we have a lot of things that actually, you know, we've been thinking about it for a while, so we have a lot of things ready, and it's about introducing it to the market and to the users in the right pace. And also, before we launch something, you know, we want to get some feedback from the users of, you know, their priorities and what they would like. So, for example, one of the things that we get a lot of question around is role-based access control and identifying excessive privileges. Again, something that we had in our roadmap and we had in our plan. So it's going to be issued in two weeks. We're going to issue, you know, ARBAC-related tests in Kubernetes, uh, in Cubescape, I'm sorry. And also um, what I believe to be a very sophisticated graph of connections between the roles, the capabilities, the resources, so the verbs. Yeah, so I think there's a lot of things you can do. And the fact that you know, we do it with the community uh, is a big driver for us in terms of prioritizing what to do first. Got it. And where does this user feedback come? The, the Discord is new. Yes. So most of this is over GitHub that folks are reaching out to you and that's where all the action is. So GitHub is a major source of input for us. Uh, we have great uh, users. Um, I think we have over like, I don't want to say the number, but probably like a hundred different PRs open that, that we are working on. We actually are not shy about approaching users directly and asking them. So, you know, we see activity, we post things, 
We ask people about what they would like. Um, there is an option to register uh, to some of our capabilities and we send emails and, you know, I get like five emails a day from users who are either telling us good things about Cubescape, some of them tell us their problems, bugs that they found out about Cubescape. And as I said, I'm a fanatic about that. I'm, I'm, I write it in the email, right? It's, we're not sending any automated email. I look at any email that anyone replies to me. I read all of them. They're all very important to me personally and as a company. And, and that, that's kind of like the way we decided that we're going to go about it. And I think uh, it will pay off listening to every user. And how do you characterize the people that you're hearing from? I mean, I know they're developers and they're security minded. Early in DevOps, we kind of said everyone's going to be doing Dev and Ops. And it kind of turned out that there was a DevOps team and then a lot of developers. Mm-hmm. Are these generalist developers or are these kind of a, a special breed of kind of security minded folks that end up engaging with you early? Well, I would say that if you just look at titles, for example, like in uh, GitHub engagement and, and those type of things, I would say that about 60%, maybe 70% are DevOps engineers or DevOps leaders. And I assume that they are security minded just because they are speaking with us. But I do believe that, you know, many of them are actually security minded. There are about 10 to 15% who are uh, various, like security is in their title type of people, you know, security architects, um, security engineers, DevSecOps. And then there is about 10 to 15, another 10 to 15, which are, you know, developers, developers trying out like core developers, not DevOps. Honestly, I think this, this is, you know, what I would expect in terms of like the, you know, distribution of users for our tool. And I expect DevOps to be the main focal point using our tool. So I, I should have mentioned this at the beginning to kind of characterize what I meant when I said the project's going really well. But if GitHub Stars is any measure in the maybe six, eight weeks since you've launched, I forget the timing, you've got four and a half thousand GitHub Stars, which is as many as any of the kind of other Kubernetes hardening tools out there that, you know, many have been around for a year or two. It's really quite an explosion. And, and maybe I'll, I'll go on to say this idea of kind of scanning your infrastructure producing scripts is a big trend. Folks are doing this not only for Kubernetes, but also for Terraform and other infrastructure as code solutions. And so maybe this is an area people expect to see tools now. Yes, I think uh, people are, are looking for those type of tools. I think Kubernetes specifically has made, you know, everybody was already convinced about Kubernetes uh, basically, you know, taking over the world in terms of orchestration about two years ago. But that was top, and now it's action. Now every company you go to is going there, um, and I think that's that's why now you see this, you know, bump in actually people and DevOps looking for tools to kind of like take control of the clusters. Everybody knows Kubernetes is a monster, right? You know, no one there, there will be, you know, most of people will vote it as too complicated, right? Nobody will say it's too simple. And everybody knows it. And I think um, they are looking for it. They know that it's probably vulnerable and they know that the human element and the configuration element is a big part of it. But they also know that they, they were going to need to go forward. And I think that's why they're looking for something that, you know, will actually solve them the problem right now, but also be able to work with them, you know, going forward. Shelly, we don't often get the chance to talk to somebody so early in the motion of the kind of developing a community. And maybe you can tell us a little bit how you think about that. Some of our listeners 
are building open source projects of their own, or they've heard many episodes about building a community. Now that you've got attention, you've got magic in a bottle, people are excited about what you're offering. How do you kind of harness that energy in a way that's productive for the community? What do you think about in terms of staffing, um, tooling? What are the next steps for you? Well, as you said, I can talk about the early days and I can tell you what we are planning ahead. First of all, I would say to everybody building a community, it's a full-time job. It doesn't build itself, okay? The start, like you do need to get some indications that there is interest and that people want to be part of the community. But once you have that interest, I think uh, it is a full-time job. You need to invest in. That's the first thing I would tell anyone going into that area. The second thing is about being really, really, it's like a religion. You need to be very, very uh, minded and commit to actually engaging with the community. And you need people who love it, who would like to engage with the community. And honestly, not everybody is like that. You know, many of the developers, even in my company, some of the developers in my company, you know, it's not what they like to do. Um, you know, be on GitHub and on Discord and the kind of like chatting and, and, and communicating and, and doing that. But I think the people who are developers and also like to do that, they are rare, but they are the secret sauce of every company. And I was blessed, you know, we have David and we have Ben and we have people who are, you know, they get energized themselves by being part of the community, by driving the community. And I think that's a super important part that you should have in the DNA of your company. Now, going forward, I need David to write code. So we will bring a community manager. We will bring, you know, the, the right people to do that. But, you know, the fact that you have people in your company who are devoted, the fact that I like, you know, to get those emails and answer them and to be on Git, you know, I'm on Git myself all the time. I mean, Hacker News, you need to love it. That's what I'm saying. You need to, to want to do it. That's the first thing. Got it. And then at the same time, you you also have a business to run and and you'll be expanding both the open source offering as well as some of your commercial offerings. You've done some thinking about kind of the interplay between what's in the open and what is a product people can buy. Any thoughts you want to share along those lines? Yes. The way we look at it and the way we expect it to develop is that the premium product or the paid product and the functionality that we give there will be a direct extension of Cubescape. And this is my personal belief that you do not want to, when you do that conversion into your business, you don't want to have your customers change the product that they are using. You want them to be able to use the same product. I think, as I said before, with the five minutes and the simplicity, I think keeping it simple, keeping it, you know, making sense to your customers and to your users, that's the first priority. And if you do that, they will move, uh, of course, if they see value. And that's what we're aiming to do. We want to add value within the same experience uh, of Cubescape. We want to make it easy for users to come to Cubescape and join us for our enterprise version. And that's what we're building. And, and honestly, we are not very impatient to do that. We are taking our time because we want to see what our users are doing. We want to understand you know, where they see more value Many of the things that in the future will be premium will be free forever for the first users that join us now and give us feedback. You know, we have about, well, I don't want to say the numbers, but we have several users that we actually started to engage with on a bi-weekly basis. We have a bi-weekly call with them. 
We share with them our roadmap. They share with us what they would like. And we work with them in order to develop, you know, what they need. And in the future, I hope someone will pay for what they are now getting for free. Good. You said something at the beginning that I wanted to come back to real quick as we wrap up here. And that is that I think some people assume that the reason we're doing more DevSecOps is because people can grow faster, move faster if they target developers in kind of a bottoms-up motion. But I think you're also pointing out that even the traditional kind of top-down sales motion is difficult in the world of DevOps because all the security leaders need buy-in from their um, their engineering leaders and, and users. And you're kind of saying it's almost a necessity now that to kind of sell security, you need to come through the developer channel, if you will. Yeah, you know, I don't want to be like a devil's advocate here, but what I think, is that, you know, developers are, are not stakeholders. They are buyers. You know, you need to treat them as the buyers. And when I say developers, you know, it's a bigger umbrella. It, it can be the VP engineering. It can be the CTO. Um, but we see budgets going into engineering, at least for security of the production environment. Okay. Um, I say it to many people who come to me and say, I think the CISO world is going to split into two. There's going to be, you know, the IT yeah, CISO, the legacy IT CISO, email, you know, email security policies, data pol- data policy, and it's going to be. I don't, I don't think it's going to be called the CISO. It's probably going to be the security architect. It's going to report to the CIS, to the to the CTO or to the VP engineering, and they will decide on how they protect their production environment. And actually, I think it's a better way to do it because it's a very engineering oriented environment, and you know, that's, that's the way I see it. So if you ask me, it's not stakeholders. They're, if not this year, maybe next year, they will be the buyers. That's the organization that will hold the budget. And understanding the, the new CISO, or at least the kind of the bifurcated CISO environment, that, that we'll, have, we'll have a kind of the traditional CISO that, that, that is kind of the CIO, the security of the CIO and the security of the CTO. Definitely. And, and you, know how the, uh, you know how the CISO of the CTO looks like? He's a 25 or 30-year-old. He has a hipster beard. You know, he's very, very, very smart and very, very practical. But, you know, he doesn't close deals on the golf course. Right. Awesome. Thank you, Shelly. It's great to hear the story of Cubescape and good luck with all the work you've got in front of you. Thank you. It's a lot of work and thank you for having me. Find today's show notes and past episodes at contributor.fyi. Until next time, I'm Eric Anderson, and this has been Contributor. <laughs>